Hello listeners, welcome back to the pod. It's Charles here with Martin, our usual guest on the show today to discuss the markets. Uh, Martin, welcome back once again. Hello, we do seem to pick our times, don't we? <laughs> it's a perfect time. Uh, <laughs> where to start? Let, let me think. Martin, so you and I were talking offline before uh, about the inflation imprint for last month that came in. Mm was 8.6%. Right. So let me set the scene up. So the inflation print was 8.6%. Everyone was expecting the figures will be a little bit lower that inflation has peaked, but that doesn't seem to be the case clearly, right? Um, in the past, whenever inflation is above sort of 5%, if I was to look back at the history, only way Fed has been able to tame inflation is by bringing the interest rates higher than the inflation figures, right? Now, if that was to happen, I don't know what that means for the financial economy, but since uh, you study these markets pretty closely, uh, I'll let you speak, I guess. (laughs) Well, it would be good, could not Vienna really, because um, the, the amount of debt in the system has never been higher, right? And uh, we saw that debt run up it was already running quite hard and fast before the global financial crisis. But post the global financial crisis, debt just ballooned. And that was obviously driven by lower interest rates, uh, as well as uh, government um, bond issuance and uh, you know a lot of bond issuance from the corporate sector as well and um, households as well. So there is more debt in the system than ever. Mm. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, if indeed it is true that to tame inflation, you need to get the um, cash rate, you know, the target rate above inflation, then you're talking about, a, well, an interest rate, you know, cash rate of 8, 9, 10%, mm-hmm. right? And mortgage rates even more. Now, it's interesting that uh, the US 30-year fixed mortgage rate went to 6%. Mm-hmm. Right, on Friday, 6%, right? That's way higher than it's been for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was enough to freeze the mortgage-backed security markets for uh, a period of time. <laughs> Suddenly, there was a no-bid situation. Mm-hmm. It eased a bit later, but um, it, it shows you that that it'll be almost impossible for the Federal Reserve to take rates that high. The question is, do they need to, or is it the fact that with the debt overhang we've got, even a smaller rise will be sufficient to snuff out any growth and basically move us into recession. And of course, the real issue from the figures at the end of last week were that the inflation is broad-based. So whether you look at um, you know, food in the shops, obviously the fuel and gas, um, or indeed um, housing, you know, it, it is everywhere. And it's in both services and goods. Mm. So the chances of this getting tamed quickly is close to zero now in my view mm-hmm. and bear in mind of course that the ecb also last week said their inflation rate was what 8.1 mm-hmm. percent <clears throat> the uk is also very high mm-hmm. um we've got a high inflation rate here although we only report it once a quarter so we're sort of swimming in the dark at the moment although i did look at some local information relating specifically to food in australia and in the last quarter in this area basic staples have gone up 20%. So inflation is raging wherever you look. So the Federal Reserve will need to lift the rates. They will need to do more than 50 basis points when they um, meet later in the week, probably 75. Most people now seem to be, I think, 96% of um, 
the market now says at least 75, might even be 1%, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, but this is going to very much beg the question then about how this plays out. Now, I talked about shock and awe before, right? Um, the, the Federal Reserve needs to shock and awe the markets. They need to actually show that they're really serious about tackling the inflation if they are. But the problem is that the more they tackle inflation, the more liquidity goes away, the more the momentum in the market decreases. Mm -hmm. And as markets fall, of course, people need to actually make more margin calls. That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why, for example, gold is down from where it mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. So they are now absolutely caught. Do they actually go with their interest rate lifting strategy to try and tame inflation and break the markets? Or do they actually say, well, hang on a moment, we can't break the market, so therefore we need to be more cautious about raising interest rates, maybe even turning it around, maybe not doing the quantitative tightening mm -hmm. and letting inflation run away. They have created the mother of a problem. Do you think they will back off? Well, I don't think they will in the short term because I think politically um, the midterms are in November, right? Um, Powell needs to demonstrate to Biden, Biden to, you know, to, to the people in the US, that they're doing all they can to tackle inflation mm -hmm. because his popularity is so off on the nose at the moment mm -hmm. that uh, I think if they turn around and say, well, we'll save the financial markets, never mind the real economy, never mind real people, then that's you know going to completely... Uh, destroy any hope that he has of um, the midterm. So I think up until November, I think we're going to see rate rises continuing. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, there is a very significant chance they may have to reverse. I also suspect that they might do different routes for the quantitative tightening from that which they've announced. We'll mm -hmm. see. Um, because in a way, liquidity is now the big problem. The number of new bonds being issued is way down from where it was. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, a lot of corporates who are now rolling off old bonds that were very cheap having to write new bonds much higher mm -hmm. so the cost of funding to corporates are is already going up six mm -hmm. percent for uh, fixed rate 30-year mortgages because of where the um, the 10-year now and the two-year is um mm -hmm. this is a big deal and of course the other point to make is the 210 did invert so that's another forward signal of a recession ahead so it's not only just 210 it's 210 and 230 both are inverted yeah and 530 <laughs> I haven't looked at the 530, actually. Yep. Probably it is. Um, yep. But actually looking at it right now, you're right. It is. Um, but that itself is a sign of a concern for Jerome Powell, isn't it? Yeah. So so basically, there's two, two issues. One is they're thinking a recession is likely, but they're also, the markets are saying later rates will have to come down again, right? That's what they're, that's what they're actually saying. Mm -hmm. Um but the liquidity thing is immediate, right? So the liquidity problem is there now, right? So look at the mortgage-backed security from last Friday, right? That was a that was a liquidity problem. Nobody actually wanted to dance that tune anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's really the problem now. So the markets rely on liquidity. And, of course, everybody's piled into the um, US dollar. The dollar's way stronger. It was up dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, the Aussie dollar's dropped below 70, 69, mm -hmm. something now. Um, another another sing, you know, signal indicator of strength in the dollar, not a lot else. Uh, and in fact, I guess the only um, option is you you buy dollar or you buy um, you buy oil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting and and with the figures that are, that you're mentioning that will uh, be released this week with the interest rates, uh, there's a high possibility that we'll see a point seven five. Yep. 
pretty much everybody. So from Namura and um, JP Morgan and um, yeah. Goldman Sachs, they're all saying now 0.75. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Powell was talking previously 50, but right, that was in the on the false assumption that the inflation had peaked and it was now going to sort of go sideways or down, right? Well, there's no evidence of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the second rule rounds of inflation uh, are all there. The other point to notice, did you see the uh, Michigan consumer confidence that came out on Friday, right? No, it's I the, it. it was the worst almost ever, right? So consumer confidence is absolutely through the floor. And so while consumers in the US have been, you know, still spending some of their um, hard-earned and, uh, frankly, handed over money from the, from the government, right? It's, the, the savings rate's going down. The question now is, at what point will that stop? And, in fact, the consumer discretionary stocks dropped dramatically on Monday. So, you know, things like the cruise uh, ships and those sorts of things and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the casinos, those sorts of things, because everyone's now realizing that, well, maybe Mr. Consumer isn't going to continue spending. And of course, in the US, that's a big deal because two thirds of the economy plus is actually Mr. Consumer. Mm -hmm. Post the announcement, we have seen the markets wrecked. Although the stock market didn't do, or the indices didn't do that bad. I mean, mean, they're down by about 2% or so. But when you look at the sort of uncorrelated or correlated market, whatever you want to call it, which is the crypto market, mm. that has been hammered. Like in the last couple of <laughs> well, days, down by yeah, 20% the, or whatever the figure so, is. So the S&P 500 is now in bear territory, right? The NASDAQ's now down 30%. The S&P's down 20%. Um, and if you look at the tech sector within the NASDAQ or the main markets, they're way down. So things like Microsoft and Apple were significantly mm. down. Um, now, Fintech, therefore, is definitely on the nose at the moment, significantly. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a correlation because generally my view is that Bitcoin has somewhat correlated to the fintech sector if you look over Mm -hmm. the medium term. But, of course, we had the the announcement. We had Luna the other day blow up, but now Mm -hmm. we've got one of the main um, Celsius, one of the main um, crypto banks, if you like, said, well, they can't continue to provide the services that they normally provide. That was really a major scare because a lot of people still have the view that crypto was outside the normal financial system, as it were. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think both Luna and Celsius signify that, no, 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 you've got to understand crypto is now embedded in the same dynamics mm-hmm. as the rest of the financial markets, right? This is this is not over there anymore. It's over here. It's right in the middle. So, so basically, the same rules apply. And, and of course, now confidence levels are dropping, you know, the... Um, Bitcoin dropped what fifteen percent, I think, last time I looked, and it's probably still still going down. Ethereum mm-hmm. even more. And the question now is: um, Is this a terminal decline, or will it bounce back? Now, of course, a lot of the crypto bulls are still there, saying, "No, no it'll bounce back. Don't worry. Just just hang on there." Mm-hmm. But quite a few people who bought at forty, fifty, sixty thousand have already lost drowning amount. Mm-hmm. People who took positions and uh, was expecting a bounce um, are now getting margin calls. So my view is there isn't a lot to support crypto even at these levels. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that there's a report came out last week that said the total effective cost of mining a Bitcoin is around 30,000 US if you cover all the costs, including some of the overheads, right? Mm-hmm. So we're now well down below the theoretical cost of mining a Bitcoin. I think mm-hmm. that's very significant. Yeah. 
Um, I think that figure is somewhere around, uh, depending upon how you calculate, but that figure is somewhere between uh, 20 to 30K range, depending upon how the figure Yeah, is. so it's basically 22 if you only count the direct costs, but if you count all the overheads and other support costs, in other words, the, the holistic costs, it's closer to 30,000, according to the latest stuff that I saw. Is, is Martin, if you look at the likes of precious metals and all, right? Um, <laughs> Is that telling you anything? Uh, well, it is. I mean, gold went up on Friday, right? And so everyone said, Eureka, finally, gold is behaving a bit more <laughs> like a safe haven. What happened on Monday? It dropped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, no, it's not It's not correlating the way that people expected it to. So there is very little evidence at the moment that gold is actually behaving like a safe haven. It seems to be more tracking some of the other indices that are out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that may change. Uh but actually, you know, there's a bit of an interesting debate going on as to whether gold is behaving, and silver even even more of a question, is it, are they safe, behaving like the safe inflation-proof assets that everybody thought they were? Um, maybe too soon to say, but, you know, my, my um, analysis and correlation suggests they're probably not. Mm. It feels like only oil is behaving that way. Well, basically, that's it. So if you want to, um, if you want to hedge your bets, get, get into oil at the moment, um, or, or I said the US dollar, I mean, you know, US dollar proxy for, for oil, I guess, as well. But no, the, the oil at 120 uh, US is, uh, is, is still strong. It did come off a little uh, in the early part of Monday in the US, but then came back later in the day. And of course, we still have supply issues. We still have um, the Ukraine situation um, and, and the ban on Russian oil. And of course, interestingly, that Beijing sort of reshut down again. Mm-hmm. having opened previously post-COVID. So there's some interesting questions about demand from China, but the net net position is that oil is pretty strong at the moment and uh, I think probably won't come back much, much, anytime soon. Yeah. Um, it's surely acting as a safe haven, that's, that's for sure. Um, but for how long is the interesting question, right? That, that, that's the whole thing, right? It's already yep. gone up a fair bit. Um, but talking about the Fed future fund rates, um, Martin, now it is pricing in about... 550 basis point rate hikes. Yep. Uh, last time when we talked, I think it was pricing in about three. Yep. Right. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, the, the bottom line is, as we said, inflation is, is, is running faster and harder and for longer than previously expected. And that basically <laughs> suggests that the ability to be able to control inflation is now more limited by small increases in, in the rate. So the markets are now banking on um, you know, more, more rates, hikes. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to your fundamental point, right? The, 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 the textbook, the economic textbook would say, if you want to nail inflation, you need an interest rate above inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's the question as well. How far can you go before you break something else? And the, <laughs> there are so many things close to the edge and so many things looking as though they could break at any time. Mm-hmm. And, and it really does to me show the, um, the weakness of the central bank's positions here. You know, they're really, they are caught um, between these two, these two spheres. You know, do they protect the markets? Do they protect um, the economy? Mm. And, uh, you know, they, which way do they go? Do they actually go up and pull, pull economies around the world into recession? You know, the uh, latest um, economic assessments are that uh, growth globally will be a lot lower than previously expected. And uh, people more and more are talking about recessions in the UK and in the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that depends upon. I mean, in uh, depends upon what shoes you're wearing. 
some people will argue that we already are in recession to some extent and others will say you know what we are going to look at the figures for q2 to see what what turns out to be the case well it depends how you measure recession right so but but if if you talk to real households um they're not feeling it like i said the consumer confidence index was extremely low um, low as it's ever been. And uh, that's a very bad sign for economic activity because of so much of the economic activity in the US as other countries too is, is consumer led. And then the other question is if the if the government with its big debt has to pay more to cover the cost of that debt ahead as it looks as they will now because interest rates are going up, that's going to be another dampening impact mm-hmm. on the overall economy. Uh, certainly here in Australia, if you look at the last GDP number, the two big growth levers were government investment, in other words, money coming from government to, to do things, and mm-hmm. the household sector spending money, right? Now, if those two things get turned off, there ain't much else that's growing at the moment, and mm-hmm. I suspect it's somewhat similar in the US as, as well, which suggests that you are absolutely setting, setting yourself up for a very consistent view that recession is very likely. Mm-hmm. And the question is, could you actually have a recession and still have high inflation at the same time. That is feasible. Well, that's that's sort of the scenario that we're living in right now, isn't yeah, it? It is. Yeah. Which is more, I don't know what you will call it, uh, uh, stagflation or deflation. Yeah. So, 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 economic de- deflation with inflation. Yeah. So, so it, it's it's a weird combination, right? Because I suspect what you will find is there'll be less new debt being issued. So, credit supply will tighten. And in fact, maybe credit growth will go into reverse. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're already seeing that in the mortgage sector and people are talking about the house prices in, in the US beginning to fall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that governments have a big amount of debt at the moment. They don't want to incur more debt, but they may have to, but they'll have to pay a lot more if they do. And we know that corporates are going to have to spend a lot more just using um, their funds to service the debt they've got. And if they issue more debt, they've actually got to pay a lot more for it. So those are all ultimately deflationary factors, mm-hmm. right? So if demand comes off, maybe eventually inflation will come under control. Mm-hmm. But then it comes back to, so what's the cause of inflation in the first place? Was it supply chain disruption? Because supply chain disruption isn't necessarily that easily fixed when you actually think of it in terms of uh, changing interest rates? Or was it more to do with the massive amounts of liquidity that central banks have created and the ultra-low interest rates? Mm -hmm. If it's the latter, then you might actually see inflation get tamed and relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. If not, if you actually end up in a scenario where inflation is still raging hot, at the same time as essentially we've got um, uh, deflationary forces acting elsewhere in the economy, then that's the the worst of all worlds, because that that does ultimately lead you to a deflationary future. And, you know, I think I've probably said on a previous conversation, I still have this nasty suspicion that the end game for this is actually deflationary rather than inflationary. But we're going to have to go for an inflationary bit first. Yeah, which means we'll have to uh, inflate out the debt before <laughs> going into the deflationary zone. Otherwise, yeah. there's... Yeah. Uh, if you if you head straight into the deflationary deflationary zone without uh, killing the debt through inflationary measures, then there's bigger problem to be had. Well, you, you, and you make a very interesting point, right? There is a school of thought that says actually, really, central banks want inflation because inflation devalues the debt that's there, mm-hmm. right? 
And, and so if you believe that the amount of debt in the system is just way too high now, and I personally have that view, we've gone way too beyond where we should have gone with, with, with this, the, this, this pool of debt, mm -hmm. then actually allowing inflation to run for a bit helps to reduce the real value of that debt. Mm -hmm. right? So they might actually not necessarily want to really deal with the inflation threat as strongly as perhaps they would articulate because of the political overlay that we discussed earlier. Right? So what if, what if central banks are actually saying, well, actually a bit of inflation above you know, the target two to three or whatever it is would actually be quite good because it would actually solve some of our, our, our broader debt issues. I don't know, but there is an interesting sort of angle to say, well, maybe that's part of what's going on at the moment. So maybe we won't see interest rates going up as high as some are thinking, simply because they will wear inflation for longer, despite the political outfall. And I, I'm not sure how that, how, how, whether that will play out or whether they will really fixate on fixing inflation and break and break the economy in the process. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That that that's where the that's the interesting piece, basically. To see, oh. well, it seems to me something's going to break, right? The question is, which bits going to break? Something's already broken. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yes. uh -huh. more so. Is it you know? So, so are we going to see you know recession? Are we going to see unemployment rates starting to rise? Are we going to see um, default rates rising? All of those things, you know, are part of it, and that's without taking full account of the. Um, the, the oil situation and, um, you know, the Ukraine situation, which is another factor. And, of course, in China, well, they're in a different ballgame because they're actually cutting rates and they're actually stimulating the economy to try and stop that economy crashing. So, you know, it's very interesting that they've got a different problem. Yeah. Um, but if you take Australia as an example, you know, more than 35% of all of our trade goes to China. Well, that's, a, that's a concern if China's actually getting going off the boil. Yeah. Um one more question, Martin. If let's just with the with with the information had at hand, if we were to just assume that Fed's going to keep rising the rates up until the point where they tame inflation, so yep. let's just say the uh, they normalize the rate to two two and a half percent, wherever that comes out to be. Where do you see the real estate prices post that, both in the both talking about both the US and the Australian markets? Well, I think uh, in Australia, we're already seeing uh, property prices coming off their tops. Interestingly, the ABS published data today that said that the real estate market is now over $10 trillion, mm -hmm. which means that it's uh, relatively, the relativity to GDP is worse than Japan was three mm -hmm. decades ago, right? So, I mean, we've got this huge splodge of, of real estate and value, but it's all artificial, right? It's all debt, debt inflated, and it's going to come away. Um, my scenarios, I have run, th I've run three scenarios for Australia. The, the, the best case is that we see um, a settled and a very gentle rise over the next three years. Um, the main case is we'll see a fall somewhere between five and twenty percent over the next three years, and the worst case is it could be down forty percent over three years. Um, so I run those three scenarios at the moment. I'm sort of sitting in that middle middle band as the most likely one, but recognising the other two goes back to if they really did, if they want don't want to let the property bubble fall, they could do things. They could do more of these incentive programs, and they could uh, provide more term funding facility for the um, 
for the banks from the central bank to sort of give them very cheap money to sort of prop up the market. So there are things they could do. Whether they will, of course, is the, is the question. In the US, well, property prices are very strong at the moment. And we know that, as I said earlier on, the fixed rate's now at um, 6%, Six. Mm -hmm. which is re remarkably high from where it was previously. That's going to put a dampener on it. And I think it won't be universal across the US, but there will be number, a number of areas across the US where we will see property prices now reverse. Mm -hmm. And I think a, a 15 to 20% correction over the next couple of years is certainly on the cards, but uh, depends a bit on some of the other factors that we touched on. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Uh, but isn't it fair to say with what we saw during the COVID period that the regulators or politicians are not really that keen on letting the property bubble burst with all the grants and the suspensions that we saw with the mortgages yep. uh, all around, yep. uh, that probably they'll rather let it platter or drop a bit, whatever the, your base case is, 5 to 20%. Uh, rather than letting it crash by 40%. Because if that was going to happen, then you can, it, then that would have probably happened last year, I would have I would have said. Well, no, because interest rates were ultra low last year and uh, the, the amount of stimulus, that was, certainly in the Australian situation, the amount of stimulus that was actually thrown in was remarkable. That's one of the reasons why property prices went up more than 20%. Mm -hmm. In fact, in some regional areas, up more than 30% in a year. Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous, right? So that, that, was, that was artificial. That was created completely by that government intervention. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an interesting debate. So will um, governments try and uh, keep the property market up? Because, of course, they know if property markets fall, the banks are at risk. The financial stability is at risk because they've got so much of their lending in the, um, in the mortgage sector, particularly in Australia, mm -hmm. which is why one of my three scenarios is they will do stuff to, to stop them, stop prices falling, right? So they'll you know, go sideways and down a bit, but then, then sort of, consolidate right mm -hmm. because they don't want to expose the banks to the financial stability risks that, that are there now mm -hmm. the question is can they do that have they got the money to do that and is there the political will to do it uh, um, short answer is i don't know it's interesting that um an ex-rba governor spoke the other day in australia in mcfarland and he basically said we can't save the marginal borrower right mm -hmm. in other words the Reserve Bank is not going to change course just because they're concerned about people defaulting on their mortgages. So the marginal borrowers may well actually find that they that they fail. And, and that would suggest that prices will be on the downside. Then the question is how far. But I also agree with you. I think that um, the fifth, you know, the five to 15 or five to 20 range is probably more likely to be one that they can live with. Mm -hmm. More than that, it's going to get very awkward. But all the experience from Ireland, for example, mm -hmm. um, is that it's very hard to calibrate the downside. Once property starts going negative and the feedback loops go negative, so auctions suddenly aren't attended and uh, vendors either take their property off the market or have to um, accept a much lower price, then it tends to actually go into a negative spiral down Mm -hmm. compared with the positive spiral up we had previously. So it's going to be very difficult to be able to control it, I suspect. Um, and uh, whether they will, whether they want to, whether they need to, are all important questions. But from a financial stability perspective, I'm sure that they will be doing some things to try and prop the banks up. Yeah, fair enough. 
interesting take, Martin. Um, I don't have many more questions. Any thoughts you have other than what we have discussed? Well, only to say that I think that anybody who thinks that this is the end of something is not reading the story correctly. I think this is going to play out over the next few months. Personally, I think we're going to get a better read by the end of September into October. Mm -hmm. By then, we'll know how far down the markets are and where inflation is. And it's worth just remembering that in previous generations of, of corrections, the September-October timeframe tended to be the linchpin, the point at which actually either markets recovered or they dropped dramatically. So I would be thinking and planning for not just a few weeks, but a few months and thinking around September, October. The second point is there is no safe place to hide at the moment, oil perhaps a little bit. Um, and maybe for a bit at the moment, actually cash isn't a bad bet. You may not be um, you may not be getting much on it, but on the other hand, you're not losing much. And that may be the best we can hope for at the moment <laughs> until maybe later in the year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, even though we're talking about such high inflation numbers, um, but with how markets are reacting to it, uh, and it makes sense the way they are reacting, uh, cash is not the bad bet, even though you're in a high inflationary period. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd when you say it, but that's the reality. <laughs> well, that's my point, really. And uh, you know, my, I think I may have said on the previous show, I went to cash at the end of last year, yeah. at the peak, actually. I was quite, quite fortunate that I, I picked it roughly right. And, and OK, I'm not getting massively good returns, um, you know, I'm getting some on-term deposits, but not massively good, but I'm not losing capital, right, mm -hmm. in absolute terms. Whereas if you're actually in the stock markets, you're losing absolute capital, as well, of course, as the inflationary pressures. Um, so there is actually an argument for saying sometimes cash isn't trash. And I suspect that at the moment, that's my perspective. Mm -hmm. So just any final thoughts on the dollar? Do you see it strengthening further or with all the things that we have discussed, or do you see it pretty much peaking out here? I wouldn't be surprised to see it go a bit higher. Mm. The question is, will they worry about it being higher? And the answer is no, not if it's the um, predominant uh, tool of trade, because everybody else gets hit rather than, <laughs> rather than the US, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you take a parochial view, the trouble is, of course, that it puts huge pressure on developing countries, mm. often whom are settling in, in dollars and it disrupts the international order further. And I guess that's the other sort of thematic that's worth exploring. I think we're seeing the breakdown of the international trade order. And uh, in that respect, um, it may well be that the dollar will go a little higher, go sideways. But then the question is, will it retain its predominant position in the next two to five years? That's a really open question. And there will be a lot of pressure given the um, difference differential between the US dollar and other currencies may be to find alternatives. So that's something else to watch. I'll give that one a stab. I think it, for now it will keep strengthening or maybe it has peaks or close to peak basically. Yep. But with what's happening with uh, China, Russia um, and digital currencies, I think over the long term, if you're talking four to five years, it's surely going to lose its purchasing power. But for now, it's probably the best bet. Yep, I agree. Yeah, no, the dollar's a strong dollar. And, um, you know, with the with the Aussie down at 69, <laughs> it tells you something quite important, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, Martin. Uh, funny times. Uh, but to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. Do your own research. 
play safe stay safe don't over leverage and we will see you guys next week